0: Uh, today, you know, we start our two-week series on heaven and hell, and, uh, as Pastor Brian and I were talking, we decided, let's do the bad news first, end on a high note. (laughs) So guess what I'm going to be teaching about today? Uh, hell. Probably the hardest message, toughest message I've ever taught, and I've taught a lot of messages over the years, um... I like to be funny, I like to interject humor in the message, this is not a topic I can really do that with. And so, um, I just want you to to really listen to what does God want to say to us on this message about hell. And we really did this series, this little mini-series, because a lot of people ask us about life after death questions and and so forth. And the message that I'm going to be teaching, a lot of churches would not teach. I'll just say that. A lot of churches have gone away from their belief on hell. Oh, they believe in heaven, but they've kind of dismissed this. It's not politically correct, so to speak. Um, But as you know, we teach the Bible here. We teach it all. And um, as I get ready to start, you can be turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. And so the title of it is really, What Does the Bible Say About Hell?, I have an image in my head that I've had a hard time getting out of my head, and it just happened this week. I was, uh, uh, in the morning, I was driving to the gym, and I was going down Eber Road, and oftentimes on Eber Road, if you know that road very well from in between Hollywood and Mitten, there's a canal there, there's a lot of ducks, and I saw these uh, Muscogee, I think they're called Muscovy ducks, Muscovy ducks are real colorful type ducks, and see that there'd be a pair of those ducks around, and... I was coming back from the gym, and I, uh, I saw one of the ducks had gotten hit and run over on the road, and the other duck was just standing there looking at this other duck. And I was wondering, what was going through that other duck's mind? Like, my friend, my, you know, he's not there. I mean, he's there, but he's not responding. I mean, it was a, and I just started thinking about how we have a hard time with death. And I can't speak about what the animal kingdom goes through. I, I don't know. I know we're different because we're created in the image of God. Many of you have been at the bedside of your loved ones as they were passing and have gone through difficult times related to death. Some of you are grieving right now. We've had a number of people in our, in our church family who have passed away just recently. And so as we go through this, I want you to understand that um, this is a message I hope comes across that this is... God teaching us about hell from this word out of love. This is not like, you know, oh, I'm just so mad at those people. I'm just ready to wipe them out. I'm angry at them. No, this is the heart of God. And, and I was thinking of this picture. Let, let's say you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you come up and it must have just happened a storm or something washed a bridge out and you you stopped and you noticed the bridge had washed out and there was a deep ravine down below and it happened so suddenly there's no signage there's nothing it just happened but you at least didn't go over the side so you stop your vehicle but you realize there's other cars coming down the road and so what do you do you get out in front and you're like trying to stop the cars you know so that they don't plunge to their death some may heed the warning Pull over. Oh, thank you. You saved me. Others might be like, hey, you crazy person. What are you doing out there? And just continue to drive on to their their death. This, I believe, is one of those messages where God's like waving his arms. This is a warning. I love you. I don't want you to be in the place that you're going to be learning about today. I want to do everything possible to prevent you from going there. But I want you to understand there is a good news. The gospel is good news. But there's also bad news associated with it. And the bad news is that God is a God who is just. And justice means there must be a penalty for the infractions against our just God. The good news, though, is that he allowed his son to come and pay that price. So as we learn about hell, you might be saying, well, why would, we, why would, we, why would God have this about hell? Well, first of all, I think he wants us to know just to warn us, like I just mentioned, so that nobody goes there. Second of all, I think he wants to motivate us who are believers so that we can do everything possible to, to talk to people that we love, that we are in relationship with, neighbors, co-workers, so we can talk to people so they don't go there. If you really believe this, it should change how we live. It should change how we respond to people who don't follow Jesus. Am I right? So it should change us, it should motivate us. But I think also God wants us to know sin is serious. We live in a day and age where people are entertained by sin. They they, they take pride in their sin. And maybe even kind of wink at a a sin. Sin is serious to our God. As we just sang, he's holy. So I want you to think of that as the backdrop of all this, that, that God has a message for us. The context of it here, you should be in Luke 16. We're going to start in verse 13. The context of it is it really starts back in chapter 14. Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee. They're having dinner. He's talking to them about eternity, about the use of their life. And he starts here in verse 13 by saying this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So, what was his message for these Pharisees, these religious leaders? They thought financial blessing is a sign of spirituality. Some people believe that yet today. They had a problem, and that is their God was money, the love of money. And so it's like, I've thought of this before. Some people think the opposite of Christianity is atheism. I don't think it is. I think the opposite of Christianity is idolatry. Idolatry is anything or anyone that we put ahead of God in our lives. And so it's found throughout the Scripture where people had idols. And what was the idol for these Pharisees? Money. It's no different than it is for a lot of people today, materialism. You know, and it's tough because when a person has a lot of money, eh, they don't need God. Because you know they can just write a check if a problem happens. Until it comes to eternity... Eternity is a great equalizer, isn't it? So Jesus, what? this is the context. Jesus is not going to tell a story, and this is a real story. He names a person, Lazarus, in this story, and it's not the same Lazarus that he raised from the dead, a different Lazarus, a beggar, and a rich man. And so he's, he's telling this. is not a parable. It's a real-life story. Likely, these people would have known who these people are. Who knows? Maybe the rich man was a friend of some of these, these uh, Pharisees. And why is he doing this? He's wanting them to see that you have a, an idol in your heart. And that idol in your heart is going to take you to destruction. And it's like we were created to be worshipers, every one of us. We will worship someone or something. And it's like we have a throne in our heart. And that throne, what is sitting on that throne of your heart? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it a person? See, God will be second to no one. He wants to be on the throne of our heart. He wants to be in control. He wants to lead us. He was our creator. He has a purpose for our lives. So here's our first point is that anything or anyone we put ahead of God is an idol. And so this is the context of this story that Jesus is about to tell them to show uh, these religious people that you're in danger Your eternal state is in danger because of the idol that you have in your heart of your love of money. So now let's skip to verse 19. Now he starts the story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Let me just stop there. Riches are not a problem. It's the love of money is a problem. It's when money becomes an idol, okay? just want to say that. So there was a rich man. He was dressed in purple, fine linen. He lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a laid, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. You know what that shows me? That this Lazarus, he had to be laid at the gate. He probably was so... Medically, he could not walk. He couldn't get there on his own. So they picked him up and left him in front of a rich man's home, thinking that oh, maybe they'll have pity on him. But it also says he was longing to eat, which means that probably oftentimes they didn't give him anything. He was just longing, just give me some scraps. I'll just, whatever fell from the table, I'd be glad to have. But he was longing for that. He was that poor. He had these sores on his bodies, and, and the dogs coming and licking it. It's very much a contrast. What Jesus is trying to say the contrast between this rich man living in luxury, his fine purple linen, and this poor beggar. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. I'll talk more about what that is in a moment. Then the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. Some of your translations will say hell. It's a it's a Greek word for hell, Hades, where he was in torment. And he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. Well, let's just stop right there. We see this contrast. We see these two different places, one being hell, one being where Abraham and Lazarus sat. And I just want to set the stage of understanding before Jesus paid for our sins, people couldn't go to heaven because their sins weren't paid for. So when a person died, like in the Old Testament or before Jesus went to the cross and resurrected, people went to this place called paradise, Abraham's bosom, okay? If they were looking forward to the Messiah coming, if they were godly, if they were righteous because of faith, they went to this place. It was like a holding place ready and waiting for them to be taken to heaven. Then there was this other place people that didn't want anything to do with God, that were living with I- I- idols in their life, and they would go to a place called Hades. In the Greek, or excuse me, in the Hebrew, it was called Sheol. So they're in the, there's, this, there's these contrasts taking place. After Jesus rose from the dead, he could take all those people to heaven with him because their sins had been paid for and, and so forth. But remember, even on the cross, remember when, he, when Jesus was talking to the um, thief? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay? But after he rose from the dead, that place could be cleared out. So just to s- s- kind of continue to set that stage. Now, this rich man didn't suffer because he was rich. He suffered because he did not have the right God in his life. Remember this, Abraham was very wealthy and he's a father of the faith. David, Solomon, very wealthy people in the Old Testament wrote the Psalms, wrote uh, Proverbs. So it's not riches. I want to make sure that's really clear. I'm not bashing on anybody who's rich. It's when, rich become, it's when, when finances or materialism becomes your God. That's the problem. If God has blessed you with wealth, And I know many people he has. Then you know what? That's a gift. It's a gift to steward. It's a gift. to How can I use my resources to advance the kingdom of God? It's not a gift to hoard. Because if you get to this stage where you hoard it and you hold it all in and you're not generous, you know what? It's almost like a revealing that it's become your God. So now let's keep going. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son... Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. You will find agony or torment four different times in the story. We've already read three of them. So it shows you what's going on there. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and and, uh, uh, you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here here To you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, this is the rich man again, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come also to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the word of God. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. See, this rich man knew what the real answer was, didn't he? Repentance, change. Verse 31. And he said to them, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So. We just read the story that Jesus told these rich uh, Pharisees. You know, Remember, the context is that money and materialism have become an idol in their life. And again, why is Jesus doing this? Because he loves everyone so much. He even loves these religious leaders who are giving him a hard time. He's wanting them to see, you're on the wrong path of life. You haven't died yet. Once you learn a lesson from somebody who has died, and I'm going to... Open the veil, so to speak, and show you what's on the other side so you can see. Put yourself in the story. And I'll say that to all of us. Put ourselves in the story as well. So what does the Bible teach us about hell? Number one, hell is a real place of eternal judgment. We know Jesus talked about it. In fact, sometimes I've heard people say, well, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. You've probably heard people say that before. Uh, I did a little research. It's not true. It's a myth. He actually talks in all of his teachings about hell, is about 3% of his teachings. About heaven is about 10%. So, next week when Brian teaches on heaven, he's got a lot more material to work with, okay? So, he does. He, he talks a lot more about where we're going as believers, but there is this warning in here. It's a real place, it's a place of judgment. And why is there a place of judgment? It's because he's a judge. If someone did something terrible to one of your, let's say, your kids, those of you who are parents, somebody did something terrible to one of your kids, you would say, I demand what? Justice. 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 You want something wrong to be righted. Well, God is the supreme judge of the universe. And he is a just. As part of his nature. He is just. Sin must be Judged. That's where the gospel comes in, right? That's why Jesus Christ came, to pay that price for those who will accept and receive. So it is a place of judgment. But it was never designed for you or me. We know this from another teaching Jesus did. Look at Matthew 25 up on the screen. It says this, Jesus talking. He says, then he will say to those on his left, he was talking about you know, the good and the bad here, those who had, had a relationship with the Lord and those that didn't. He said, depart from me, you who are, who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What we see there is hell was really prepared for Satan and his angels. That means the demons. It was not prepared for us, but there are going to be those who choose to go without God, they're going to say, I don't want anything to do with you, God. I'm going to live my life on my own. And that is where this eternal judgment is going to take place. In verse 46, he says, then then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see a word repeated twice there, don't you? Eternal. Either the eternal punishment or eternal life. And that punishment is because of judgment of justice. You know, sometimes people like, they they, oh, you know, I just believe in annihilation. You know, kind of like when when it's over, it's over. Well, you know, that's the same lie that Satan gave Eve in the garden. You know, God had told Adam, he said, the day you eat of this fruit, don't eat that fruit that's in the middle of the garden. He said, the day you eat of it, you will what? Surely die. Now, we know they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually that day. Well, when... Eve was being tempted by Satan. Say, uh, Eve says, well, you know, God said if we eat of this fruit, we're going to die. The very first words that, that Satan said, you will not surely die. The first thing that Satan wanted to do to Eve in her temptation is say, there's no penalty. There's no hell, so to speak. And this is what's so damaging, what's taking place in, in the church world today, where people try to take hell out of this. They were like, "Oh, no, there's no penalty. We all go to all roads lead to heaven." You've heard that. You know, that's not according to my God. But he doesn't want anybody to go there. He's prepared this place for Satan and the demons. But there are going to be those that are going to they're going to go there. So it is a real place. Number 2 is that people are conscious, conscious and know what they're missing. In hell, people will have their memory They will know what they're missing out. You see that in this story with this rich man. The rich man was told to remember the good things he had prior. He was told about remember about Lazarus. He could remember about that. He remembered about his brothers. He knew his brothers were not in the right place spiritually. I believe those in hell will remember every time they were exposed to the gospel and said no to God. If you're here in this service right now, or you're watching online, or you're maybe listening to this after the fact, and you choose to say no to God, and if you die before you make things right with God, you'll remember this day forever. I really believe that. You'll have that memory. Why didn't see God gives us all opportunities. And one of the things that we believe is that uh, unless you, you have to reach an age of accountability, we don't know, but God will take all the children. All, before you reach an age of accountability, He's going to take the children to heaven if they die. And I also believe that the same thing happens for those who mentally are not capable of understanding the gospel and, and, and going, uh, making that decision. But there comes a time where people are accountable for their, for their life, for their decisions, and, every, and I, I said it in the Easter message last week that every time we say no to God, our hearts can get harder and harder. And at some point in time, God will say, well, that's the way you want it. You, you get your way here. You don't want life with God? Why would you want to be in heaven then? So number the uh, third thing. Number three is that hell is an eternal place of suffering. It's suffering. It's, there's, there's no party in heaven. You know, the, the world tries to say, well, you know, I'm just going to be with my buddies. We're just going to party it up. And hell is just going to be this great time with all of us. Uh-uh. You know, the Bible calls it a place of outer darkness. It's a place of agony and torment. We already read that four times. The Bible calls it a lake of fire, calls it a, uh, a place of gnashing of teeth. Um, it's a terrible place. This is a place of suffering. I believe when it talks about the outer darkness, it's really a picture of God's presence has been taken out of there. The light of God has been removed, and it's a place without God. I think, you know, we live here on earth, and there are times where things are really, really bad on this earth, Right? But God's presence is still here on this earth. But in a place like a place of hell, I believe God's completely, his presence is completely removed from it. And we don't understand quite how good God is. That even, you know, the Bible says it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. That we have good here on this earth because of God's love and his grace for us. But hell is not going to be that way, it's a place of suffering. Um, Look at the passage from Roman, excuse me, Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15. It says, Then death and Hades, in other words, hell, will be thrown into the lake of fire. When does this happen? This happens at the great white throne judgment that's talked about in Revelation 20. There's a time of judgment coming at the very end of the age where hell, this holding place right now, will all be emptied out. All those people in there will be emptied into this lake of fire. It says, then death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. The first death is physical. The second death is eternal. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It makes it very clear what it's talking about. People, names, book of life. So that's a place of eternal suffering. Number four. What do, we, what do we know what the Bible teaches about? It says there's an eternal separation between heaven and hell. The Bible calls it this, this chasm. It's a fixed place. In other words, you can't go from one to the another. If you're in heaven, you can't go to hell and vice versa. Now, here's a big thing that a lot of times people have a question about. And I'm always careful. I'm very bold when I teach the Bible. You probably see that. But I will tell you if I'm going to bring you my opinion. I'm about to give you my opinion on something. So I could be wrong. Opinions are just that. They're opinions. My opinion is, if we're in heaven, and let's say one of our loved ones didn't make it, we won't know it. That Either that memory of them is gone from us, that we're not going to see them like, oh, I see you're over there in hell, you're suffering over there. How could that be eternal heaven if we knew our loved ones didn't make it? Uh, and there's some glimpse of this in Isaiah 65. It talks about the new heaven and new earth. It says, talks about the former things pass away. I really believe that we won't have that memory of those people that don't make it. But I don't know about the people in hell. They may see the people who made it, and they, I don't know. But here's the thing. Sometimes I've had people say, I cannot believe what you believe, Pastor Dave. I cannot accept the gospel because if I really truly believe what you're preaching or you're saying, then somehow I'm condemning my, my loved one who, who didn't have a relationship with Christ. I'm condemning them to hell if I really believe that. Well, here's the one thing I do tell you. We don't know who makes it and who doesn't make it. I think heaven's going to be a lot of surprises. They're going to be like, what, you made it? <laughs> oh, hey, we didn't know no, you would make it. <laughs> Why? Because we have... We're exposed to the gospel, aren't we? And if a person cries out to God and asks for forgiveness at the very end, God's going to take them. Now, they won't be rewarded like others will be if you're using your life on purpose, if you're really fulfilling. There's rewards in heaven. So there's going to be people that are going to make it. But here's the thing. Don't assume you know who's going to make it not going to make it. Sometimes people do things privately. Because sometimes I'm at, I'm at doing funerals for people, and they're like, well, we just really don't know where they're at. I mean, it's, 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 that's a tough situation. I would say if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you know that you're going to heaven, tell everybody around it. So that way there's no mystery at your funeral, okay? <laughs> they're not wondering, oh, whew. And you know what? As pastors, it's a whole lot easier for us to do a funeral when we know that person, they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know where they're at. Because at a funeral, if we don't know, we don't give false hope. We don't, we're not one of these churches that say, oh, yeah, everybody's there. You know, you know. We, we just don't go there because we don't know. So, again, I'm just injecting a little bit of opinion there. You're you okay with opinion there, right? And, and so uh, the last thing is, number five, is you don't want your loved ones here. It's so terrible that nobody wants their loved ones in hell. And even what Jesus shared about this rich man, what was he concerned about? his five brothers, send Lazarus back to them, have them, you know, if they saw him rise from the dead, then they will repent. Does does a miracle create converts? It really doesn't. What changes people's lives? It's the Word of God. It's the gospel that's found in the Word of God, and that's why Abraham directed them to to the, the, the prophets and the Word of God, what they had at that time. We are changed by the word of God, by obeying what the the gospel is in the word. If miracles could do it, then everybody that saw Jesus rise from the dead, they probably would have become a believer, right? They didn't. Jesus raised another Lazarus from the dead, and as soon as he did that, it says the religious leaders were plotting on how to kill him again and how to kill Jesus. See, resurrections don't necessarily create believers It's a part of the response uh, to the gospel. And so I think one of the things I want to bring us to is probably one of the biggest questions that people ask who are not believers. I'm sure you've been asked this before. Maybe you even think it. You're a believer, but you think this. And this question up on the screen, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? How many have been asked that before? Been asked that, and you wonder it. How could a loving God? It doesn't, you know, our our logic somehow doesn't fathom it. Well, if you only picture God as love, that's a good question. And we may be confused by it. But remember, God is way more than just love. He's also just, he's a judge. And I was just here to say that God has done everything possible because he is a God of love to make sure we don't go there. He, we have to literally step over the dead body of Jesus Christ to go to hell. He has done, he sent his son, he, he paid that price. The gospel is spread throughout the world. He's done everything possible to keep us from going there. John 3:16. So God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son that whoever, that's available to everyone, whoever believes in him will not perish. Spend eternity in hell, but have everlasting life. And then the very next verse, verse 17, says, He did not come into the world to judge or condemn the world, but to save it. That's verse 17. But I want you to see verse 18 and 19 on the screen. Very next verses. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. See, people, people have to understand they're already condemned because of our lives, because of our sin. We are already condemned. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this is the verdict. You know, you think about a trial. A verdict has come down. Light has come into the world. That's Jesus. But people who loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. When you really break it down and you look at that verse, you'd say... The number one reason why people don't want to accept Jesus Christ. And he's done everything possible to keep us from going. He doesn't want to condemn us. Why do people not want to? The last part, because their deeds were evil. You want to do things your way. It's about you, your life. Now, here's what I'm here to tell you. We all have a level of evil in us. And when we invite Jesus Christ into our lives, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us to change. You don't have to get rid of all the evil first. You come to Christ, and then he begins to help you. You don't have to be condemned. He has done everything possible. Again, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because we were already condemned. He came to save the world. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to repent, the Scripture says. He takes no pleasure in the death of the unrighteous. He wants us to come into a relationship with him. I I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Let that sink in a little bit. The people who don't want a relationship with God keep telling God, no, I want to be in charge. I want to call things my own way. You know, you Christians are crazy. I don't believe all that stuff. At some point in time, God's going to say, have it your way. That's what you want. You want a life without God? I've done everything possible. So don't forget the most important part of the gospel is not the bad news. It's the good news. It's what Jesus Christ came to do. And it's, I go back to my story. If you're out there on the road trying to flag cars down and tell them, a person either heeds the warning or they ignore it. I ain't stopping. There must be some, you know, and it's suspicion and all this kind of stuff. And a person drives off to their death. Now, on a personal side, I grew up in a church, you know, baptized as a baby, um, confirmation class, going to Sunday school. I, I learned about, a lot about God. And, you know, I, I like I liked that I learned because when I gave my life to Christ later on, I grew fast because now it all made sense. But I knew about God, but I didn't know God. The church I was going to never taught about a personal relationship with God. And so as a result, I just uh, thought I'm going to heaven because I believe in God. It seems so too simple. Why wouldn't somebody just say, I believe in God and we all go to heaven, right? I was taught this little prayer, going to sleep at night. Some of you probably learned this. It's kind of a morbid prayer, I think, but um, mom and dad are probably watching right now. Now he lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, whoa, I pray the Lord his soul to take. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to not wake up in the morning, you know. But I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And people started witnessing to me, sharing the gospel with me, and it would get me so mad. You've heard me talk about it in the past, but I remember very clearly there was a time I was at Iowa State University. I was walking from one building to the next, and there was a campus preacher out there, and he had a crowd around him. Most of them were mocking him you know, and making fun of him, and I kind of went just kind of for the entertainment factor. And one of the things, I, I, I couldn't get it out of my head because he said, You know, if you were created for a relationship with God, you have a void in your life if you don't have Jesus Christ in there. And you're trying to fill that void, that emptiness, and he started naming all these different things. And I was in my mind thinking, check, check, check. All these things he was naming, I was trying to fill that void in my life. And then he he went into a very powerful message about the gospel, and it, it shook me up. Like, it started to make me think that I'm not a Christian, I could go to hell. And I was living a very bad lifestyle that was risky. And it, it bothered me. But one of the scriptures that spoke so loud and clear to me in a scary type of way let me tell you, if you don't preach hell, why do you need a savior? You don't need to be saved from something, right? You need to know about hell because we are saved from that penalty. By what Jesus Christ did. So I learned about it, and it was this passage from 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, that rocked my world. It says this, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might and i couldn't get that out of my mind like well i know about god but do i am i obeying the gospel of the lord absolutely not do i really know god well i know about him i could quote facts and it started to make me realize that if i die truly die before i awake i'm not going to heaven and i remember i could not sleep very well i would have to even use more Drugs and alcohol to appease my, my mind, to give me some peace to be able to sleep at night because I was so like in torment, just the thought of hell. And I remember part of that was part of what led to me giving my life to Jesus Christ, realizing I need to be saved. I need to give my life to Christ. And everything changed when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. You're talking about peace? You're talking about putting your head on the pillow and having a Peace? I don't have any fear of death because I know where I'm going, and you you do too if you've given your life to Christ. This is what's so important. Romans 2, you see on the screen, verse 4 and 5 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, in other words, tolerance, and patience? In other words, people that are blowing it off, they're showing contempt for how great God is, his kindness, forbearance, and patience not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. This is what I hope that God is doing. Even through this message, you see the kindness of God. It's not scaring you into heaven. It's God's kindness, His His love for us. But because of your stubbornness, and this is what will keep you out of heaven, you're stubborn against God, His will. Because of your stubbornness, And your unrepented heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. And of course, that's what we've been reading about His righteous His judgment. His righteous judgment will be revealed. Don't be stubborn. It's the kindness of God. Those of you that have seen people along the side of the road and they got their signs, turn or burn. (laughs) Does that seem like the kindness of God? Makes God look like he's angry and mad at you. That's not the God of the Bible. He's a God of love. He's got his arms wide open saying, come to me. Come to me. I've done everything possible. I want you. Don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Don't don't show contempt. I'm patient with you, but at some point in time, there's going to be an expiration of our time here on earth. My, My kindness is shown. And where is the kindness of God displayed? At the cross of Calvary. The supreme act of love that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Innocent Jesus, sinless Jesus, dying for you and me. That's kindness. Did we deserve it? No. Do we earn it? No. It's a gift. That's why it's by grace that we are saved. I go back to a verse I just did a moment ago. Revelation 20, verse 15. It says, anyone whose name was not found in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. And the point is this. God wants our name written in the book of life. My question to everyone here, is it? Is your name written in the book of life? I think God's right now up in heaven. He's got this book. He's got a pen in his hand. He's, waiting. who's, who's going who's gonna to come to follow me today? Who's going to give their life to Jesus Christ today? I'm ready to write your name in the book of life. It's not an automatic, though. It says that the angels celebrate. They, they celebrate when one sinner repents. You know what? All he comes back to is repentance. And, and even the, the rich man in hell understood that if, if somebody would go, my, my, my brothers will repent. He knew the answer was repentance. That's the change. We can't do that on our own. We do that as we come to Christ. Real repentance comes when we surrender our life to Jesus and then he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. The last passage before we pray is Matthew 7. It says, verse 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate. That's Jesus. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's a picture of hell, destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This weekend so far, we've had many people give their lives to Jesus Christ. I think last service, something between 15 and 20 people, just in the last service. And I know there's people right now, you don't know whether your name's written in the book of life. You don't know if you're to take your last breath where you're going to be at. And if your answer is like, well, I hope heaven, that's the wrong answer. You should know, you should say heaven because I have my sins are forgiven. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. If you think I hope so, I'm not sure, you can make it sure today. God does not want it to be a mystery. He tells us that in 1 John chapter 5 that we can know that we have eternal life and it's only found through Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. Even this tough message, Lord God, help us to see just how loving you are, that you're warning each and every one of us. You don't want anyone to be in a place called hell, but you want us to be forever with you in eternity in heaven. But I pray right now, first of all, for those of us who are saved, use this message to motivate us to reach more people around us. Use it to motivate us to pray for our lost loved ones. Help us to appreciate our relationship with you and what you did so much more as a result of this message. And I pray for those right now who are not sure whether they would spend eternity. That maybe they're, leading, they're on that wide road right now. Maybe they're living for themselves. They have something other than a relationship with you on the, on the throne of their heart. But they want to make that change today. Lord, I pray you be speaking to them drawing them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to their hearts right now. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you want to make sure today that your your name is written in that book of life, if you're wanting God to get that pen out and write your name on that book of life, but you don't know right now, you're not sure, but you want it, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up high all over the sanctuary. Just raise your hand up. Many hands are going up. Just raise it up high. You're saying to God, I want that relationship with you. It's not about this church. We don't have membership here. You know, that you're asking for a relationship with Jesus. It's not about Calvary Chapel at this moment, okay? Yes, yes, yes. Up in the balcony. Okay, I see many hands up. I can't even more than I can acknowledge right now. That's awesome. Great. Great, great. Others of you, you can put your hands down if you've had your hand up. Are there others of you? You know, maybe you're, you're, you're tight-fisted right now. Your hands are sweaty because you know like the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, but you're resisting. Remember with that verse we just read, don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Don't show contempt for his kindness. He's, he's wanting to save you. He's wanting your name in that book of life. If you didn't put your hand up, but you know you're supposed to, would you raise your hand up right now? Anybody? Yes. Okay. Anybody else? For those of you that raise your hands, I'm going to ask that uh, we're going to be, we're going to sing another worship song. I'm going to ask you to do a bold thing. If you've come with someone, have them come down with you. I'm just going to ask that you would come down here to the altar. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer right down here, a prayer where you are dedicating your life to Jesus Christ. And people are going to be cheering and clapping as you're coming because you know what? Most of us have done this at one point in time in our lives. And it's a celebration. It's a celebration in heaven. So I just want to encourage you. If you've raised your hand up and you're serious about a relationship with God, some of you ought to be running down that aisle because you know you need to be down here. And I would love to lead you in a prayer right down here. So would you all stand? And as we sing, just come up out of your seats. Just come on down. Don't let pride, don't let fear hold you back. Just come on down. them. Let's celebrate with them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remember this, you're not coming to man. This is not about me. I didn't die for your sins. It's all about Jesus here. Is there anybody else? Anybody in the balcony? You can make your way down these steps right here, okay? I know you think you're closer to God because you're sitting up there, but uh, uh, hey, this is an open invitation for anybody. Wants to give their life to Jesus Christ. They're continually coming. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to lead you all in a prayer. Lead you in a prayer, and remember, it's not about the exact words of this prayer. It's not like magic words, like if you just repeat it. No, it's about the meaning of this prayer in your heart. Okay. And so uh, it's, a, it's a prayer of dedicating your life to Jesus Christ, okay? And so just, just pray this out loud. I'm just going to ask these to repeat after me. You Pray it out loud. You're all here together amongst friends, okay? So just pray this out loud. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, but I know Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross to forgive me of all my sins and he rose from the dead please forgive me of all my sin write my name in that book of life I repent of my old way of life and I want to follow Jesus from this day forward so send your Holy Spirit to live in me and I follow you in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Awesome. 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 Amen. Awesome. If, if you guys here, if, you, if I could just hold on to you for just a moment, we want to make sure we give you a, a New Believer Bible and so forth. We'll have a prayer team coming and uh, just answering questions you might have. The rest of you, if, you could just, if this is part of your, your crew that came, just give us a couple minutes before you. Uh, they'll be right with you. As you exit, uh, the offering boxes are by the doors. If you're new here, we have a place out in our commons, a center ring out there called New to Calvary, and we'd love to meet you, ask, answer questions you have about the church. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.